I love the Christmas season. You know, um, my wife and I are uh, learning to help our daughters experience some of the classic and share some of the classic experiences with our daughters. We have two little girls. They have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so the one-year-old really doesn't understand anything, but the three-year-old's starting to understand things, Sayla. And so this week we took her and we took her through the drive through the Christmas lights over Noblesville. You know, the John Deere Christmas lights, whatever they are, over off 37. Yeah, everybody shaking their head? Okay. We took them through that. They loved that. And I think Sayla just loved that I got her out of the car seat and set her on my lap more than anything. But... She loved those Christmas lights. We built a little gingerbread house for them. We kind of cheated a little bit. We got the uh, pre-made kit from Costco. Have you seen this one? It's like you just pull it out of the box and decorate it. I'm like, I looked at my wife. I'm like, babe, you're cheating. Like, this is not, it's not the real deal. And, and uh, we, uh, we're watching some of our favorite uh, Christmas mo- movies with them. How about Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas? Anybody? No one? So, yes. Thank you, Greg. What's wrong with, you know what, next week, that's what we're going to do here at church. We're going to watch Emmett Otter's Chug Band Christmas. You've got to look that up. It's really good. But, uh, you know, the girls have been helping us decorate with, decorate the Christmas tree. And that's like a daily thing, you know, because they can reach right up. And every day the ornaments are coming off and going on and lights are being moved around and so forth. And so I love the Christmas season. And it's probably because, you know, I'm beginning to share that with my kids. But the truth is, in the midst of all of the putting up the Christmas lights and all the decorating and all of the shopping and baking the cookies and listening to the music and going to all the parties. In the midst of it all, sometimes sometimes we can kind of forget the meaning of Christmas. Sometimes we forget that really at Christmas time, it's all about Jesus stepping out of heaven and bringing light to our dark and broken world. At Christmas, we celebrate that a light has dawned in the darkness Follow along as I read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Jesus was with God in the beginning. And through Jesus all things were made, and without Jesus nothing, has been, nothing was made that has been made. And in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how do we move from the darkness and into the light? How do we move from conflict to peace? How do we move from sorrow to joy? And today we're talking about how to move from anxiety to hope. And I, I hope that over the next four weeks, God will encourage and comfort uh, all of our hearts. Can, you, can we just pray real quick? Can I pray for us uh, and pray for our morning? Pray with me. Lord, we want to hear your voice today. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have a light in the midst of the darkness. We thank you for loving us and sending us your son. And God, many of us are uh, in a dark place in our lives. Many of us are struggling with some stress or some anxiety, and we need some encouragement from you. We need some comfort, some strength from you. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us today? Let us hear your voice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you deal with... How do you deal with the anxiety and stress during Christmas? Maybe you're like me. I like, I'm an emotional eater. And so when, you know, stress comes, I just eat a lot, more, a lot of pumpkin pie. You know what I mean? Like, you can't eat enough pumpkin pie. I love pumpkin pie. And 
I don't, I'm not one of these like, oh, pumpkin pies Thanksgiving only. No, that's that. We, we carried that all the way to, to Christmas. And so maybe, maybe you're, maybe you deal with stress and anxiety by eating a lot of pumpkin pie, or maybe you're like the lady. Did you hear about the lady this week, uh, in the news who, uh, carried the pig on the airplane? Did y'all hear about this? Huh? Who, raise your hand if you heard about the lady who carried the pig on the airplane. Okay. Take a look at this photo. Kind of hard to see, but it's on Fox News. Uh, Apparently, the article reports that a pet pig, here's what it says, here's what the news article said, a pet pig trying to board a U.S. Airways plane in Connecticut found out that not all pigs can fly. Uh, That's funny. This porky passenger was grounded at Bradley International Airport for turning the cabin into a pig pen and disrupting the other passengers. A woman who was flying to Washington on Wednesday, this was the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving, Brought the 70-pound potbelly pig onto the flight. Look, here's a picture of her on the airplane. Next picture. There she is. She's on the airplane with the 70-pound potbelly pig on her shoulder. This article went on to say the flight crew booted the woman and the pig from the plane before the plane took off because the animal was squealing and had, quote, defecated in the aisle. Can you imagine sitting on an airplane and seeing a woman walk down the aisle with a 70-pound potbelly pig hanging over her shoulder? Some people who, said, who were on the plane said they thought it was a duffel bag at first. They thought it was a dog at first. And How about, could, how about being the guy sitting next to the woman when she comes and sits down? Like what, like what happens in that moment when you're sitting there, you're just kind of getting situated, maybe you're pulling out a book or you're strolling through your phone, and then you look up and like, what in the world? Like, this woman sits down next to you with this pig. Well, the article says that <laughs> she, I don't believe this, that um, apparently the pig was serving as a, quote, emotional support animal for this lady. And it was designed to help her cope with stress and anxiety. I don't know about you. But carrying a pig around would cause me more stress and anxiety than it would relieve, right? I mean, I don't know what she was going to. We don't know where she was. She was going to Washington. I don't, it was the day before Thanksgiving. I, I, maybe she was going home for the holidays. But, like, like, who does that? Like, what's wrong with our world? I mean, who does that make sense to? You know, while we want the Christmas season to be filled with hope and joy and peace, if we're honest, isn't, isn't it often filled with stress and anxiety. Sometimes Christmas is even filled with conflict and some real sorrow. And for some of us, stress and anxiety that we deal with during Christmas can be pretty typical. Maybe you're worried about overspending on gifts or you're concerned about scheduling conflicts. You get anxious about trying to fit all of the parties in and make everything fit on the calendar, make sure everybody stays happy. Or maybe you're anxious about spending time with your really awkward in-laws or your extended family members. You know, those ones like, you see once a year and you're like, oh, they're going to ask me the same question. They're going to say the same thing. But for many of you, the Christmas season brings uh, a much deeper sorrow than those things. And maybe for you, Christmas every year is a reminder of the pain from your past. And this time of year reminds you of the deep wounds that your family left you with instead of fond memories. And for others of you, Christmas is a really lonely time. And you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, I never imagined I'd still be alone on the Christmas of 2014. Or maybe you're alone for the first time this Christmas. 
Maybe you lost someone really special to you this past year. Maybe you're like my friend, my good friend Kurt, who's going to be enduring his first Christmas this year without his beloved wife who passed away at the age of 45 in January. See, for, for many, Christmas can be a, tar- a dark time of year. And many people are just simply looking for a glimmer of hope. And so today we're going to quickly start out by looking at a story of a couple in need of some hope. And their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you want to, we're going to look at two different passages today. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1 and Romans chapter 5. And so if you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, or if you want to grab one uh, from the aisle or on your phone, Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. So this is a story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Follow along as I read, uh, picking up a verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. They they observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But, verse 7 says, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. First thing I want to do is highlight that First key phrase, in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now this phrase alone speaks volumes about the hopelessness of God's people during this time. During this time just before Jesus was born. Herod was not a true Jewish king. In fact, he was a tyrant. He was a fraud. He partnered with the Roman Empire. And he viciously ruled over God's people, the Israelites. And so the Israelites had to deal with crushing taxes and violent soldiers and corrupt politicians. Sounds a lot like our world today. And the Israelites were living in a time of great suffering and despair. And this is the reality for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah is one of God's people. And he's living in the darkness of despair. He and his wife are very old and they were childless. And it's important to understand that in those days, having children just wasn't something that you wanted to do or wasn't just a blessing or it wasn't just about your legacy. Your children would be the ones who would take care of you in your old age. And so the stress and anxiety of being aging, childless, of being an aging, childless couple must have weighed heavily on Zechariah and Elizabeth. Let's look back at the text and see what happens next in verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was a priest and he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So Zechariah is going to go into the temple of God, in verse 10, when the time for the burning of the incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Zechariah goes inside. And while inside, verse 11 says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he was standing, the angel was standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and gripped with fear. That's probably a pretty big understatement. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, and he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth had spent much of their life praying for a child and enduring the suffering and the anxiety and the stress that comes with not having that prayer answered throughout their life. And this story shows us that God answered their prayer. But while God answered their prayers, I want to make sure, make sure that you see that that's not the point of this story. 
It wasn't so much about having their prayers answered and their suffering relieved. Instead, their story is about the fact that God is the God of hope. And that's the real point of Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, is that God is the God of hope. And John the Baptist would become the first prophet of God in over 400 years, their son would. And through Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, God would bring hope to his people, the Israelites. Listen to how God is going to use their son, John the Baptist. Look back at verse 16 in chapter 1. Speaking of John the Baptist, it says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord. He's going to go before Jesus. His ministry is going to prepare for Jesus' ministry. He'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. What's he going to do? He's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John the Baptist's role in God's big story is that he is going to be the forerunner preparing God's people for when Jesus shows up on the scene and gets baptized by John. Now, from Zechariah and Elizabeth's perspective, they were just wanting their prayer answered. They just wanted a child. But from God's perspective, he had much, a much bigger plan. He had an eternal plan that was unfolding before their very eyes. And that's what I want us to focus on today, is that our hope doesn't rest in God answering all of our prayers, although he often does answer our prayers. Our hope is not in that all of our problems will be solved or our circumstances will be changed or that things will get better or that we'll even see our pain and suffering taken away in this life here on earth. Sometimes God does do all of those things, but that's not what we're called to put our hope in. What we're called to put our hope in is in God, that he is the God of hope, and we're called to to trust his good plans. In fact, biblical hope could be defined like this. Biblical hope is a confident expectation in the goodness of God and his good plans for our future. Biblical hope is knowing that God is good and that his plans for our future are good. Now, the world's definition of hope is this. The world's definition of hope is basically wishful thinking, right? Here's what it looks like. It looks like the world's definition of hope is kind of like crossing your fingers. It looks like sitting on the couch on Sunday afternoon watching the Colts play, right? And uh, there's just a few seconds left in the fourth quarter, and the game is tied, and Adam Vinatieri has got a field goal. He's, he's lined up to kick a, kick a field goal, and he's at the 50-yard line, right? See, you're crossing your fingers at that moment, right? That's what you're feeling. Like, you hope he can kick it through the uprights? I mean, you, I mean, you, you know he's got, I mean, he's really old by now. But, I mean, you know, uh, you, you know he's still got it in him. Maybe he can kick this one. He can win the game. 50-yard field goal. But you're not sure. You're uncertain. You're not sure if he can actually do it. There's this uncertainty that comes with it. And really, that's just wishful thinking. And the problem with this kind of hope is that it's no hope at all. You hope the test results will come back negative but you're not sure. You hope your job is secure, but you're uncertain. You hope, but you're not sure how things in life are going to unfold. That's not hope, people. That's wishful thinking, and that's not what God calls us to. Biblical hope, on the other hand, is placing our hope in God and in His goodness and His ultimate good plans. Now, the question is, how do we experience hope instead of anxiety in the midst of our suffering. Well, we're going to find out in Romans chapter 5. Turn over to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Follow along as I read. 
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, so I'm going to try something a little bit different today. I'm going to break out the whiteboard. Let me tell you something. I love whiteboards. And uh, I've been looking for a, I've been spending a year looking for an opportunity to write on a whiteboard and, uh, during a sermon. Now, uh, this stand is really wobbly, so this may not go well. Let's hope it does. Uh, but I'm uncertain. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So over here, you have anxiety. And over here, you have hope. Okay? And so often, what we want in life is that we want to move out of the anxiety and the stress of life. And we just want to experience hope and peace. That's what we want, right? But what we need to realize is we don't move from anxiety to hope this way. That's not how we move. That's not how we experience hope. Because the truth is, anxiety is not the root of the problem, and hope is not the solution. So we experience, we experience anxiety and stress in our life, and we think, well, I, I just, that's the problem. And so the problem to the anxiety and the stress is, I just got to find hope somehow. That's the solution. But but that's not the case. See, the, the truth is suffering is the root of the problem. And in order to understand how to experience hope in our life, we need to understand that in the middle of the suffering, we have one of two responses. Either we can choose some choices that will lead us to the place of anxiety or we can make some choices that lead us to the place of hope. So if you want to experience hope in the midst of suffering and anxiety and stress, you don't try to pursue hope. What you do is you come back up to the place of suffering, the root of the problem, and there is where you call on the Lord. And there is where we need to look into the Scripture and see in Romans 5 what Paul is talking about here when he says, in Romans 5, Paul says that we have peace with God through Jesus because of our relationship with him. And he says, we can boast in the hope of the glory of God. He says in verse three, not only so, we can also glory in our sufferings. What does it mean to glory in your suffering? Well, the answer to that question is going to answer how we move and how we experience hope. You know, suffering for the first century Christian was normal, wasn't it? Suffering in our world, though, Really, in our world, in our culture today, suffering is almost viewed as a weakness, if you will. Or suffering is something to be avoided at all costs. Or when we begin to suffer, we want to do everything we can to get back to a more comfortable place and to, be, to gain freedom from that. But let me just tell you this. If you're, if you're in the Christmas season and you're experiencing some suffering in your life right now, and especially if the Christmas season in particular brings that suffering to the surface. Can I just tell you this morning, you're normal. Can we just say that? 
Sometimes we buy into the lie that Christmas is supposed to be merry and bright. Bob Russell wrote an article. He's a pastor and author. Bob Russell wrote an article this past week titled, uh, When the Holidays Aren't So Happy. Here's what he said. This is true, too. Television ads and Hallmark cards create an image of a warm, family-centered Christmas. Everyone is exchanging gifts. Everyone is smiling and hugging while the snow is gently falling outside and the fireplace is aglow. He writes, but reality is not like that, is it? People are alone. Families are divided. Kids are on drugs. There are harsh words spoken. Dad sits in the recliner and won't help out with the Christmas lights. Mom nags. Kids complain. Somebody refuses to come to the party. And then when you get to the party, we have to walk on eggshells because we don't want to hurt someone's sensitive feelings. He goes on to write, there's such a gap between what should be at Christmas time and often what actually is. Maybe, maybe more than any other season of and time of the year, Christmas reminds us that life isn't what it should be. Because we have this image of what God calls us to, an image of hope and joy and peace, but inside we're all experiencing brokenness and stress and anxiety and some of us some deep sorrow. And so we need to be reminded this Christmas that regardless of what's going on in your life and in mine, that when Jesus came to the earth in the form of a baby, he brought with him an eternal hope that far outweighs any suffering we may face in this life. But how do we, how do we, how do we respond to the suffering in a biblical way so that we can experience hope? Well, Paul lays it out for us. I'm going to show you a few of the steps that Paul lays out in Romans 5. Let's look back at Romans 5. That first phrase there uh, in, what is it, verse 3. Look at that phrase, suffering produces perseverance. And this is in your notes if you want to take notes. Suffering produces perseverance. In our suffering, we can either be defeated or we can endure and persevere. The word Paul uses here for perseverance is a word that means not just like passively enduring, but it's actively overcoming and conquering the trials and the tribulations of life. It's an image of not swerving or not yielding under the, pre- under the pressure of life. Here's what you do. Picture uh, the windshield of a car, okay? When they make the glass that goes in a windshield of the car, they heat it to over 1,500 degrees. They take, it to that, they take the glass to that extreme heat because in that extreme heat, the glass is strengthened so that it can bear the pressure of the elements and ultimately protect you inside the car. I'm not sure what's causing your suffering this Christmas season, but I I can tell you this. God wants you to persevere through it. Think about Zachariah and Elizabeth. They're an elderly couple. They're well beyond their childbearing years. But what does the angel say to Zachariah? He said that God has heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers. What's that tell us? That Zachariah and Elizabeth kept praying. They never gave up. They persevered through all the years of suffering. And we can too. And we can by putting our hope in the Lord and relying on him. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. His rod and his staff comfort me. So if you find yourself in a season of suffering right now, 
Turn to the Lord. Rely on him. You're probably familiar with the well-known poem, Footprints in the Sand. I hesitated to share this. I thought, maybe that's way too cheesy. But it's true. (laughs) There's that line, you know, Footprints in the Sand, where it says, in the times of suffering, when there was only one set of footprints, what was happening? That's when God was the one who was carrying them. God carries us through our suffering. That's the hope we have at Christmas, is that in Jesus, in our relationship with him, He walks with us through it, and we can know that God doesn't waste our suffering, that he wants to use it for our good. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God uses suffering in our life to bring about maturity. And to transform us into the image of Christ. Look at the next phrase in verse 4 of Romans 5. Paul says, perseverance produces character. Perseverance produces character. That's the second point on your notes. Sometimes we just want out. Whatever's causing the the anxiety, whatever's causing the stress, we just want it changed. Just If it's a circumstance, if it's a relationship, if it's a health issue, if it's financial, we just want the circumstances changed. I read a quote by Tim Keller this week who said, so often our prayers are, God, will you change the circumstances? And God is saying, oh, but I want to use the circumstances to change you. Perseverance produces character. Listen, God's greatest concern is not that we would live easy, trouble-free lives. God's greatest concern is that our character would become more like Christ. This is true of Zechariah and Elizabeth, even in, the, even in their suffering after many years. The text said that they were blameless and righteous in the sight of God. This is true of Jesus as well. Have you ever read um, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8? It's a fascinating passage of Scripture. Do you know God used suffering in the life of Jesus? Look at this. Hebrews 5, verse 8. Talking about Jesus, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I just think about that for a second. Even though Jesus was the son of God, in his humanity, he learned obedience. He had to grow and mature. You ever thought about that? And what was it that grew Jesus and matured Jesus? What did the Father use to develop that character in him throughout his life? It was suffering. You know, so often we think of Jesus suffering just in the last 48 hours on the cross, but that's not true. That's not accurate. The Bible tells us and gives us images and pictures and glimpses and insight that Jesus was just like us and that he suffered throughout his life. He suffered when he was in the womb. He suffered when he came out of that womb. Listen, newborn baby out in a stable I can guarantee you that stable is probably cold and uncomfortable. I don't know about you. Have you ever slept on hay? I don't know if there was hay or not, but it's in all the mangers. I'm watching, I'm showing, we're showing our daughters all of these, like we're reading all these stories to our daughter, all these Christmas stories and listening to these Christmas songs, these Christmas movies, and I'm like, Everything in me, I'm like, babe, that's not even true. Like, that's not even the way it actually happened. Like, boy, there's a lot of liberty been taken in a lot of these Christmas stories. Let's just be honest. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but Jesus suffered. He suffered as a child. Jesus suffered as a teen. He suffered as an adult. And we don't have time to unpack all those passages of Scripture that point to that, but I'm telling you, he did. 
And the perseverance and the character of obedience that Jesus displayed in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of his life, when he said, Father, not my will but yours be done, that character was formed throughout his life, throughout a lifetime of suffering and learning to obey his Father in the midst of it. Hebrews says, a son though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And I believe that God wants to do the same thing for you and me. That in our suffering, as we would persevere through it, that God would transform us into the image of Jesus and develop Christ-like character in us. And Paul says that when that happens, character produces hope. Character produces hope, he says in Romans 5. See, suffering is designed to develop perseverance. I'm not sure how to spell it right now, so I'll just do that. Uh, Perseverance is designed to develop character, and character is designed to bring about hope. That's the road to hope. As we grow and mature in Christ, we'll experience true hope because we learn that the source of true hope is not in this world. It's not in the circumstances of this world, but it's in Jesus. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. True hope is found when we move our eyes off of the things of this world and off of an earthly perspective, and we lift our eyes above our current anxieties and stress, and we see things from an eternal perspective that Jesus is our hope. And that's what Zachariah and Elizabeth got. And in case, you're, in case you're thinking, yeah, but Zachariah and Elizabeth, they prayed and they got the answer to their prayer. They got the child they wanted. You know how the story ends? You know how John the Baptist's story ends? John the Baptist would end up living in the wilderness for most of his ministry. He would eventually be put in prison because of his ministry. And while he was in prison... He would send word to Jesus. And he would ask Jesus essentially, hey, um, you didn't forget about me here in prison, did you? Like, you're going to come rescue me, right? Did Jesus rescue him? No. King Herod would later have John the Baptist beheaded. John the Baptist, man of God, answered Zachariah and Elizabeth's prayer. His life ends in prison, being beheaded, while Jesus is out doing ministry. God's ways are not like our ways, are they? His his ways are much higher than ours. His life didn't unfold. We don't know if Zechariah and Elizabeth were alive to see John's life unfold. Probably not, because they were old. They didn't probably see that his life would end tragically like that. But here's what I want you to be reminded of. While John was beheaded and Jesus was crucified, the disciples were killed because of their faith. And and in this life, 45-year-old women are going to get cancer and die. Babies are going to be aborted. Marriages will end in divorce. Financial disaster will come. Jobs will be lost. The list goes on and on and on. That's why we don't put our hope in this world. Our hope is the truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came as a human, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life of love, that he demonstrated his love for sinners like you and me by dying a brutal death on the cross. He took our place, that he was buried, 
That three days later, he rose from the grave, that he ascended into heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of our heavenly Father, that he's interceding on our behalf. That right now, as we sit in this room, Jesus sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he's praying for you. And he's praying for you, and he's praying for me. And he's trying to prepare our hearts and transform our character. Why? Because he's coming back. And there's going to come a day when he's going to return, and he's not going to come back as a baby. He's going to come back as a conquering king. And he's going to restore all things and he's going to redeem all things. He's going to make all things new and he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there'll be no more pain and no more suffering and no more broken relationships and no more financial pressure and no more lonely nights and no more anxiety. And we're going to see Jesus face to face. Don't you look forward to that day? I do. This is the hope we have in Christ. This is our hope at Christmas time. We are reminded he came once. He promised he's coming again. As I finish this morning, I want to pray Romans 15, 13. I love this prayer. It's a powerful prayer. I don't know if you've ever seen it before by Paul. Paul prays it for the believers. Here's what he says. He says, may the God of hope, he's praying for them. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the God of hope, and as we trust in Him, and as we put our hope in who He is, and in His goodness, and in His future plans for us, then we are filled with joy and peace, and it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you let me pray for you? Let's bow our heads and let me pray this over you as we close. Father, I am... Just even excited this morning, even as I just shared in the last few minutes, just about the true reality that you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that he was a real man who lived a real life and he died a real death and he really did raise from the grave. And that we look forward as we celebrate this Christmas, not only his birth and his first time entering the world, but we're reminded that we have hope he's coming back. And I know, Lord, that you're going to restore all things and you're going to make all things new and our hope is in you. So would you fill us, God, with your hope? Would you fill us with joy and peace this Christmas as we trust in you in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the anxiety and stress and suffering that we may face this time of year, Lord? We just declare we trust in you. Nothing in this world satisfies us like you, God. Our hope is in you, and we thank you for your love and your grace, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.